Welcome to Beyond Queer Stories, the podcast that gives voice to the queer community through the art of storytelling. Welcome, everybody, to Beyond Queer Stories. Today, we have the two creators of the Forbidden Apple podcast with us. So we're excited to have you all, and we're going to let you all know a little bit about them. Yes, we have Paleo here, who is originally from Spain and was raised Catholic. During the past four years, he has been working, training developing countries in the field of international relations and global affairs. He is passionate about discovering individuals and religions around the world and appreciates what makes each story powerful. Palayo believes that being able to see the takeaways from different life perspectives is the best way to learn and use these lessons for personal development and growth. Additionally, he would like to use Forbidden Apple Podcasts to prove just that. Although people celebrate religion and spirituality in so many ways, they also share so much in common. Welcome, Palayo. Hi. Thank we, you. Thank you so much for having me in this podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yes. we're excited to have you. We also have Melissa, your co-host with us. So Melissa is a native New Yorker. Well, she grew up Hasidic, so does that count? Melissa is an actor, producer, and writer, and is passionate about fighting for human rights and equality while looking for projects that give a voice to marginalized people and communities. Melissa has appeared in the video, Can You Be Religious and Queer?, by the media outlet Them. She was honored by the Jewish Week magazine in their 36 Under 36, Millennials Pushing Change Through Compassion, and featured in Vogue's American Women in Transformation. Additionally, Melissa co-founded Malky Square Productions, which has a strong focus in telling female stories and giving voice to the issues of gender and sexuality. Melissa hopes a Forbidden Apple podcast becomes a platform to give people a voice, create a community, and celebrate queerness. Welcome to you both. We're really excited Thank to have you, you all. Welcome. We're excited, we're excited to, that you're having us on. Thank you so much. I was thinking through this. I would love to hear just how you all met to Good even question. come together yeah. and be able to do this podcast together. So actually, I think we met, uh, at least for me, at a point where I was uh, coming to a new city that was New York. And um, I was feeling pretty lost in, in life in general, though maybe at that point I was not like that able to notice this. And uh, I met Melissa and I remember seeing her as like a very free individual and uh, someone that was like kind of like carefree person living her life like she wanted. And I really liked a lot about about her and I didn't know anything about like her background story or where she came from or anything so we just met and uh, she just listened to me listened uh what I was going through at that point and we had a great time it was the birthday of one of our mutual friends best friends mm -hmm. uh who started acting with me and started acting with her so that was kind of like yeah. the nexus yeah yeah so we met it was very nice what you said thank you <laughs> so um, but yeah, we met through a, a friend of ours who were also actors. And so we met through a friend of ours, who a mutual friend who's an actor as well. And then we developed after this party, we would see each other at, at her events. And then we, uh, I feel like we were the only queer people 
people in in our group of friends. Yeah, definitely. and that also bonded us a lot. Mm. So we would talk about the people that we were seeing and that other people were like, and 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 what that felt like. Because for me, it was pretty new at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like five years ago, yeah. I was starting to date women, and and for you, it was in a new country dating new. So we had that in common, and so we would talk a lot about that. And then we were roommates for a time. We were roommates for like a few months. Uh, yeah. living together mm-hmm. and uh, then we just continued um, to have these conversations that we've tried to now portray in like a podcast format. Uh, we want to talk about deep things that are not uh, usually discussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found like sometimes some podcasts uh, about queer people would talk about like certain things like maybe like too superfluous or that wouldn't go deep into like values of our community. So we wanted to have... Yeah. Kind of like more like philosophical uh, life questions that we, we just want to debate from like a, yeah. an open perspective yeah. that we had in our friend uh, in our friendship conversation. Yeah, because a lot of our questions we have a mutual um, interest in understanding ourselves and the world and what makes people tick and what gives people meaning and and um, how do we work with ourselves, our egos. Like we would have these conversations of uh, personal growth and and how we can help the world. And so that was something that we we connected over. And so we were like, we want to do this as a podcast and give more people a voice and somehow get it more out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. We were also feeling like we were not like queer enough in a way. Yes. So we were talking about like all the initiatives that people were doing, how were people were marching in pride and representing the community. And we were like, what are we doing, you know, for the community? And Maybe we didn't see those examples as something that resonated with us. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to find something where we could contribute while at the same time maintaining our essence Mm -hmm. as people and individuals. It's it's an interesting thing. I wonder if you all feel the same way. Uh, I've spoken to friends and and there's there's a way there's like there's a way to be queer and there's Mm -hmm. a way to be this. And this is you're not this enough and you're not this enough. And there was this feeling of like, I mean, we're both very queer just because we are. But there was this feeling of like, we're not queer enough. And what does this mean? Do I need to be active? And do I, so part of it is, yes, we now are connecting to the queer world doing this podcast, but we also want to hear from people's voices, just like, who are you without it being like now, because I'm queer, I need to do this and I need to do that. Like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Tell us without people telling you who you can and cannot be. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so interesting that you're actually posing that question, because that's mm-hmm. what I was going to ask you guys. Like, what identities do you feel most influence your experiences? And, you know, you're 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 doing a great job. But I just want to throw something out there. Like, I think society is guilty of telling us or trying to tell us who we are and what mm-hmm. we are. I think the ability to inhale and exhale and for us to identify who we love, that pretty much does it for me. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think what comes to mind for me is uh, as a person that I grew up in Spain with like very clear gender stereotypes and uh, what it means to be gay or not. I feel like I was raised in a high school where I was probably the like within my group of friends, I was probably the only gay person. I went to a college where I went. Uh, it was like a student hall where we all lived and I felt so like out of place. Because every quarter we'll have like a huge party. Everybody would like count how many people hooked up with how many people and do this kind of like comparisons. And I'm like, they're lost. That's like, I don't fit in with this world, you know? Mm. And also the typical comment that I would get is like, okay, you're gay, but you're not like super gay or things like that. And I would be like, that would be something that I would like run for, run from 
in a way because I would be like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not like that kind of gay in a way, no. Uh, but then right now I have come to like develop myself into a moment where I would say, okay, what's being super gay? You know, mm. what are you talking about? Because I feel like everybody has their own different ways, and um, we just like love putting things in a box, you know. And for a while I protected myself, being like the I'm not kind of gay person, if that makes any sense. And then I'm like, listen, whatever I am, I am. And I'm I'm Pelayo and I'm an individual above like everything that uh, everything, all my qualities form me, but none of my qualities define me. So I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I hear what you're saying with this. Um, the society puts puts tries to do all this right and to tell us mm-hmm. what we are and who we can't like what makes sense and what fits together. And I really like that you're saying for you, you, you inhale and you exhale and you're existing. And that's like, um, I feel like for that's part of what I'd like to explore, right? How do people get to that place of getting rid of undoing and relearning, undoing all this teaching and relearning how to just breathe and be who we are. So for me, because I grew up in a world that was also very sheltered and gendered and all of that, I needed to do a lot of that, a lot of unlearning and mm. deprogramming and reprogramming, which I'm still in the middle of, you know, like, and I feel like as adults, often people also have to reparent themselves and they have to like figure out what they needed as a kid and heal all those things. And so how do we get to that place of just breathing and being okay continuously in our lives? Um, so yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Oh, absolutely. It does. It does. Um, I, I just was thinking about um, when I, I lived here in Chicago, I was, you know, I tried to get involved very much in the social justice arena. Um, and I wanted to be very cognizant to put my efforts in different areas where they meant the most to me. Um, and I did that because that's where my interest was. But then I, I realized that if I didn't, it was still okay. And, Mm. but, but I knew that within one particular arena that, you know, when I, when it came to um, fighting for the rights of black and brown people, that it's like, if you weren't doing it to a certain degree, then, you know, people were going to be pretty, um, pretty judgmental about Mm -hmm. like, well, what are you out here doing? Like, who are you really fighting for? If it didn't look like everyone else's, you know, Mm -hmm. and then then as that began to intensify, I realized, let me take a step back and let me just think about what is my focus? Not what does the, not what does the circle, Mm -hmm. you know, not what's the focus of the circle, but what's my focus? What do I want to see happen? And let me align myself to that. So I, I had to take the pressure off myself because I'm yeah. like, I, I can't change the skin color. It's here for a while. It's yeah. <laughs> here for a while. So it's like, let me focus on what is it that's really meaningful to me. And so that's, yeah. that's how I learned to get emancipated from like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's but, so important taking, yeah. taking that time and without other people's voices. Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting because it's part of like what we're discovering with uh, our episodes in terms of the religious identity of individuals, mm, yeah. especially queer individuals that have to have that uh, that process of being like, what is me in this faith? Instead of like letting the faith define me as a person. 
So uh, almost all of our stories have had a time of like a breakdown where you go through a complete transformation in your identity and a complete transformation of like the concepts that you grew up with because you need to do that work for yourself Mm -hmm. and you need to uh, evaluate what works with you Mm -hmm. personally. What speaks to your heart. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really good transition into your story that you all have for us actually. So yeah. we'd love to give you some space to tell the story that you brought for us today. So we, I was uh, thinking I'll share a little bit about my upbringing. So a little bit about my childhood. Um, so you mentioned that I grew up Hasidic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up in Brooklyn um, in like a really large family with nine children. So I have uh, seven, I have six sisters and two brothers and like 30 something nieces and nephews. And I'm a great aunt and I have, it's a really large family. And so family is really very important and gender roles are really, are, are defined and specific. And, um, what's interesting is as I get older, I realize that there's, um, I felt slighted as a woman cause I didn't fit in those boxes really well, but there's actually power in both. There's, it's divided. It's not uh, the same, but it's divided. Like the women take care of the house and the kids and they have to say, and the men go out and work and study. And, and so there's like a division of duties and I didn't fit into the woman one. And so for me, that was a big thing of, of feeling like somehow I'm in the wrong, even though I never, I'm not, I don't um, identify as having a as, as trans and I don't want to be anything other. I don't, I'm comfortable being female. I'm happy being female. And I feel like I'm female. I was often told that who I was as a female wasn't right with these messages. And so I wanted to share when I was in, um, I went to a Hebrew seminary in England in Manchester and I wanted to learn like the, like the men do. And in our community, you don't do that. So even going to the seminary was a big step for me because I was going and doing the things that the men would learn, which is study. And um, so I was already taking a step there and I felt free. I felt like I can ask questions and I can debate and can have conversations and do this learning thing that, that I loved. And we would have every night, we would have a partner that you'd study with. And then there would be rabbis on the corners in case you had more questions because they were more learned and knowledgeable. And I would always have more questions. So I would always speak to the rabbis. And after about a month or so of doing this, the rabbi told me, he said, it's a shame you weren't born male because as a woman, it's just not necessary. And I had known this throughout my childhood, but it's the first time that someone really said those words to me of very clearly that the way I am and how I think my mind and my physical makeup somehow is wrong. And he didn't say it in a malicious way or to be mean. He I told my dad this a few years after, and he said he was saying that you have like a like a Talmudic head, like a, a, a that you could study well and, and learn and question. Um, but he felt like sorry that you you don't get to use it. But all of that doesn't really make me feel better about it. It's there should be a space that um, curiosity, intellectual like com- intellectual thought. That's like, I mean, it's a very Jewish thing, right? To like question and it's it's and to take things apart and to study and to learn and to analyze. But it wasn't there wasn't space for me to do it. Um, so that was a very interesting thing to have this guy say that. And for me to be like, wait, I don't want to be male, but I also this is my mind. What And I believed in God at that point. And I thought, how can I have been created wrong? Because I, I am female and I'm comfortable being female, but also I think this way. So that was like a really 
that was like a transition of what do I do with that? And it took a long time, really long time. I had an arranged marriage when I was 19 and in my community, they have arranged marriages and I was happy actually, but I couldn't make peace with, with feeling like somehow I'm wrong just for thinking the thoughts I think and, um, and being who I am. And so it's been like a journey leaving my marriage and, um, and, and coming out about like five years ago and understanding my gender representation and what that looked like and that I can be female and also androgynous or whatever other people say and other people's terms of who I am doesn't really define who I am. So for me, yeah, this has been a really long journey to be like, to learn that gender is a social construct and I don't have to play those roles and I'm okay just being who I am. That's what I wanted to share. Yeah. And sometimes I, I, I think about like why we, Melissa and I connect so much and we come from like very different backgrounds. But when I hear about her story, in a way, I see a lot of like similarities and uh, it's, that's also like another tool uh, that we want, that we both have of like being able to separate the surface and analyze the human level and see how we are all similar in that uh, regard. And I was also, I was not raised in such a ultra orthodox environment, but uh, it, I was raised in a place where it was difficult to separate what was the tradition part and what was the religious part of the Catholic part. So from a very young age, all my, uh, especially like the female counterparts of uh, my family were very, very involved with uh, my growth and with making sure that I was following like the roles of like what a man should be and what a man should do. So uh, that was something that I saw from like when I was growing up, my parents, my grandfather was like the, if you find, if you look uh, patriarchy in the dictionary, you would see a picture of my grandfather there. <laughs> I remember like he wouldn't do anything. He would not move a finger for the house. He would have never done that. And my grandma loved being in that position of just, serving you know and she was one of the main person although I love my grandmother but she really make a big impression on on me in terms of uh, how my how my body should look and how um, I should not do certain like uh, movements with my hands or I should not like simply putting my hand around my waist would be something that uh, she would say you don't like people to see that you don't like people to do that that's something that women do right and then we would go to to church, which was like a, a, an additional layer. I remember, for example, the Christmas that I spent at my family and I had to be in church from like Sunday, then Monday there was some other event, then Tuesday there was uh, confessionals and Wednesday was like the time that you went at night at church because you had to see the... Um, for Christmas, the, the Christ being born and my grandma would come with like a little Jesus Christ at uh, midnight. We would, we would not be able to go to bed because she would need everybody to kiss the little uh, Jesus or putting it in like the, um, how do you call it? I don't know. You know how it's like the, say, the Virgin Mary and the two animals and San Jose and these little kids. So in Spain, we always have this little like portrait of um, the birth of Jesus Christ. So she would do this thing and it would be something that was in, in railed in, in everything that we did. Although I didn't notice that much then. 
so tradition was part of, of everything that we did, right? And and all these messages that my family gave me of like how I should react or not were also like coming from society and coming from like uh, friends that would be, um, although I didn't notice that much at the time, they were trying to like, like I said before, be, okay, gay people are, f- it's okay if you're gay, if you're not super feminine. It's okay if you're gay, if you don't like go out in the street and kiss a man. It's okay in the street if you, it's okay uh, to be gay, but like they were so like bats, right? That were so difficult to to understand for me. But at the same time, I feel like I make them very internal to me. So it was like, okay, and I'm, I wasn't free to be gay. You know, I wouldn't go to like gay bars. I wouldn't talk with gay people because it was so internalized for me that there was only like this way to be gay. That was like kind of like not be gay in a way. So, um... I had to leave all that and um, I traveled to the States, I traveled to New York and I remember just the other day came in Facebook how like my first memory was uh, of like a quote that I really like about one of the most wonderful things in life is waking up in a city full of strangers Mm. and I I feel so relatable with that quote because I was enjoying so much being able to start from scratch from zero so I didn't know anybody there I could be whoever I wanted there and it was the perfect city to be myself because uh, New York is such a like a friendly and such an open city mm-hmm. so I, I I explored my sexuality my for the first time when I was here in New York because all my time back in Spain I was just thinking about all these voices and all these opinions of people that told me how to be gay and told me how should I be acting in a society you know so just to wrap up a little bit, uh, I had like all my sexual exploration. I, I made a, I have made a lot of mistakes and made a, I met a lot of people that uh, taught me a lot. And um, I had a friend that visited and I told her how like New York was such an open city and New York was such a um, a place where you could be yourself. And she made me think a lot because she told me, I think it was just the time of your life more than the city. I feel like the city was kind of like an excuse because Madrid is also like a very friendly city, but I needed that space from like everything that I knew and everybody that I knew in order to develop into like my own self. So um, that's something that I find is like a very important lesson that sometimes it's more like a, a development that you need to do and, and a person that you need to grow into more than like the circumstances that surround you what makes you uh, become the person that uh, you truly are. So, yeah, that's the story. Thank you all. Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind is I hear you both tell your story is how we had this full circle, right? Where like you said, part of what brought you together was that you both felt like you weren't queer enough. And part of what you felt in your upbringing was being too queer, right? And there's always this like push and pull. I feel like as queer people, we experience in terms of, you know, our family that, you know, very rarely, you know, some people have the benefit of being raised by queer people as well. But often we're in these very heteronormative families where Mm -hmm. we notice our differences. And then when we enter the queer world, there's this whole other set of expectations of being queer enough, you know, like I know for myself, like presenting is really feminine and feeling invisible all the time and feeling like I have to be very conscious of inserting myself into queer community because Mm -hmm. otherwise no one will notice that I'm a part of it and that I identify with them Mm -hmm. um, is really interesting. So I appreciate you all talking about both sides of that because I think so many of us experience that. 
Yeah. Yeah. It it is really that, something that companies uh, because we are all different. So like it's not something that is not binary. Be like gay or not gay. First of all, it's not binary. You can there's like a whole spectrum of sexualities, yeah. and I feel like we always talk about finding the grace in every episode. We yes. want to find the grace of like the person, you know? Yes, because we're raised. I mean, I was raised with so much yeah. black and white, and then mm. it's getting out of that and it's seeing the grays and the different shades of grays and like there's yeah. so much so much more i love though what you said that's like blowing my mind i love what you said about like we were too queer we were getting the messages that like we're too queer so somehow we don't we don't we're not good enough or something is wrong and then now in the queer world a uh, lots of people feel that of like we're not queer enough and again it's like something is wrong with the way we're presenting or thinking or being that's such an interesting mm-hmm. yeah. way of the both sides of that coin and I think that brings it to what Jonathan was saying about letting go of all that so that you can mm. then find your authentic self, right? Yeah. Which is so important. Yeah. Yeah, because there isn't a queer card that you're carrying mm-hmm. that can be taken if you don't do a certain list of requirements. It just mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. I think um, with you know with this being created as a construct um it it while it is an identity there part of it has been taken and created as a construct where mm-hmm. it's something that people have to ask you know to uh, uh, basically rise to the occasion of and i just think you know where is all the pressure coming from and why does it exist when there's mm-hmm. just so much pressure to exist mm-hmm. um, and there's so much pressure to be your authentic self and so much pressure just to in to to happily and fully engage um in this world because there's so many downfalls and so many things happening around us um and so it's like you know with from within the community just drop that if it's possible while at the same instance yes we do need to fight for our rights we do need to ensure that you know campaigns are continuing because we're not going anywhere you know we've existed mm-hmm. for decades and um, hundreds and hundreds of years and generations um so yeah. all those things need to happen so it's like a both and yeah 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 but i think that's also from that kind of um I think that we come with so much baggage and pain from from our society telling us how it should be. And I think if people don't do that personal healing, we bring that into our communities that we're creating. And that's so that's that's yeah, that's like everyone needs to do that personal work to undo the, yeah. sh- the shame yeah. so we don't put it on other people. Right. Yeah. Although I have to say in a in a like a not more like seeing the benefits of all this mm-hmm. i feel like uh street people have like a very um direct way of like what's expected for from you in a way right yeah uh, a lot of like there's like a lot of rules in the straight world that people can just adhere to that and then you won't have to go through like your own identity mm-hmm. crisis to say so and like find who you really are as a person mm-hmm. and i feel like it's kind of like liberating that we're kind of like forced although it's more painful it also gets us to like a, a, a level where we can understand ourselves better mm-hmm. and we can uh, create what our what our thoughts on marriage, what our thoughts on religion, mm. what our thoughts on like all these concepts that are so rigid in the straight world, we can find uh, a flexible way of understanding in our own way mm. without clinging to what society thinks of like these concepts. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We definitely have that. I think anybody that has to make a choice to live in a different way than they were raised or that the family expects them to has to go through that 
that and, and, and being strong with who we are. We're like, even though you're telling me I cannot be this or I'm wrong for being this way, I know that I'm queer or I know that I'm want to do this instead of what you want me to do or like any of that ha- requires strength and a lot of getting to know ourselves. So yeah, yeah that's yeah. definitely something that is it is it could be a great thing. Yeah. 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 And I was wondering with that, um, Melissa, what was that process like for you, you know, having to not just leave that community, but leave an arranged marriage that you were legally in to explore yourself in that way? What was that Mm. process like? So I was married for four years and we had, uh, he's a lovely person. And so I was also really lucky. We, uh, my family, it's arranged marriage, but your parents do all the work for you so that they'll they get references and they meet the person and they talk to the person. So it's like they make sure that that person works for the kid that they know, right? So a lot of that that um, work is done. So by the time you meet them, it's like your family approves of them. Their families match up. But also my father put in a lot of work to make sure that this person personally fit with me, who he knew I was. Because I was already going to seminary, asking questions. So he put me together with somebody that he knew can – I would con- connect with and in that way. And he was also asking questions in the community and all of that. So my family is really wonderful. So I'm lucky. There are people that have arranged marriages and they're not happy, but I like to think that most people are. It's, and I have like sis- siblings and I, they look happy. Um, but for me, it was the, I was 19 getting married at a young age, not knowing who I am, having these questions, but for the first time I had like a partner who I can bounce these questions off of. We can explore the world together. It was the first time I watched like a movie with him. And like, well, I watched a movie right before I met him. I watched Meet the Parents right before I met his parents. (laughs) It was not, it was so silly, but it's not the same at all, right? (laughs) But I remember that was like my friend was married and she had a TV because we don't have TV in our homes. But if you're married, you have a little bit more leeway. And so I watched Meet the Parents with her. Um, but with him, I watched movies for the first time. We went, we went out to like bar, like we got to explore this a little bit more of the secular world. Um, so it was a little bit freeing for me. And so leaving that was actually really hard because I loved him. We loved each other, but I knew that I didn't want to have kids in that world. I knew that I, I, I as much as I was trying to stay religious and be in that world, it, there was something in me that was just like, this is not my life. This is not right for me. And it was so hard because it was leaving behind somebody that I loved and I felt it was my family. And knowing, knowing that I was also, that I can lose my family. And like the, the work that I've done in the community, like my resume was all about the work in the community. And if I go outside in the outside world, they wouldn't necessarily know the institutions that I worked with. And so it's like, you know, my livelihood depended on it. My social network depended on it. So leaving that, so it's leaving my family, leaving my husband, leaving my social network, leaving like finance, like all of that is that I can lose it all. So it was really scary. I got to a point though, that I needed to, I I was hiding from my mother-in-law and from my family that I was on birth control, that I didn't want to have kids in that world. And four years being married, that was a thing already. That was like talking, like there was something wrong. And I needed to make a decision if I want, I was going to stay or not. And so the the hardest part was making that decision and knowing for me, I needed to be intellectual and not emotional. I needed to be like, I know, okay, this is how I feel, but also can I live this way? I didn't want to live with guilt. Right? So I needed to like make these choices. And so I spent a month in Texas at a friend's and I figured anybody that's in Texas and that is religious Jew, 
really is connected to their Judaism because New York has a community of Jews. And, you know, in a community, people often are don't have to make the, the hard choices because they have each other and it's that world. And and I figured in Texas, if you're a religious Jew, that's that's got to be hard and you, you you have to really want it. And so I went there and my friends were amazing. It was the first time I wore pants. First time like I got a pair of pants. It was the first time I spoke to different rabbis of different denominations. I spoke to a priest and like I got to see that it was all the same things and that just because there's a book that people believe in, the Torah or the Bible or whatever they believe in, for me, that was a book that had good teachings, but I didn't, that wasn't my thing that I had to follow. And it felt like I was able to make that choice of I can live without guilt and leave my family and do that. And so I felt like I needed to leave to survive. It's hard to, um, I feel like I'm not being super clear. It's really hard to pinpoint exactly how it was for me because it was such a, I feel like in 20 years, I'll have a different perception. And in 40 years, I'll have a different perception. And I have a different perception now than when I first left because it's a big deal to leave my family. And I love my family so much. And it's been 12 years and I'm so lucky that I have a relationship with them. But leaving everything you know and being a stranger in your own country, in your own city, because Yiddish is my first language as well. I English is not my first language. And so, and I feel like learning, meeting people that are immigrants help me. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends are uh, European or immigrants from some, so they they had to make that change and also explore a new city because for me, I was raised in New York, but I didn't feel like, you know, I felt like I go to Manhattan and that's like a new thing. I don't know what that is and the culture and food and everything. The exciting part is I got to explore all that stuff. I got to eat new foods that I never had before. Um, I had bacon for the first time and, you know, like I had, uh, what is what is the seafood that uh, you have to, you put your finger through to like, uh, what is it? It looks like it's alive. Not um, lobster. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I what is like, me? Oh my god, <laughs> yeah, lobster. It, it basically, it was, yeah, is oh, I yeah, believe yeah, together. I break it in the, oh my god, I cried the first time because I was like, oh, whoa, this is not alive. Like it was really hard for me, but I had to. Like I was like, I'm gonna try it. This is like a new experience. So I cried every time. Everything I like, oh. I kept touching. Is it alive? And then I ate the lobster. It's really sad and really. But it was like everything was very new for me. Mm-hmm. So it was also this like getting over my fears and my comfort zone. And so that part was really good. And then the building of relationships took years, lots of therapy. Mm-hmm. I also I'm really lucky. Like I'm really, really lucky. I have he's a great man, my ex-husband, and my family is wonderful. But we had to learn how to find our footing again because they were really worried. You know, for them, me leaving is they're not sure if I'm safe. Mm. to them, the outside world and the secular world is scary. And that comes from history of like trauma as well. And, and so there's like, to them, it was a scary world and they didn't know if I was safe and if I was stable and who my friends were. And, you know, and so learning them, seeing me be stable, them seeing me have a life that's fulfilling and being around good people is, has helped a lot. Mm. And we've been able to come to a nice, meeting of minds. I don't share a lot with them, but a lot of my personal stuff, but we've gotten to a place that's really nice. Um, yeah, that was a really long winded answer. No, that's wonderful. I appreciate hearing about your journey. Thank you. I, um, I, I just, I was thinking, um, about your, your path, mm-hmm. um, and having grown up going to Catholic school myself, I felt as if I was um, Catholic Monday through Friday, but I was Baptist Saturday and Sunday. Um, 
And I just had so much, you know, reverence and respect for the Catholic Church, um, but also understanding the flaws and the blemishes that took away a little bit of its beauty, um, but still understanding that there was a merciful God be at the backdrop of what, you know, the world saw, um, which made uh, Catholicism more humane than what it probably wanted to be. How is it now navigating with other individuals who you've come to connect with possibly, if you have, um, who are actually queer, but hold into their heart, still their walk with Catholicism? Is that still Mm -hmm. happening? So I've came to, um, I feel like this year for my spirituality has been life changing in a way. I've uh, explored concepts that I've never understood as as a kid. And uh, that was one of my main fallouts with uh, religion was not understanding what they were talking about, because it was plain to me, like you were talking about the flaws of Catholicism. I think like the biggest one, it's that they their concepts are so elevated that they take out the real meaning from them. They take out the human level of it. Mm -hmm. So that was one of my fallout with uh, religion, because I, I was just like telling someone the other day how like in in my church it was like it's the same structure for like the whole um ceremony and there's no gap for improvisation there's no gap for like community in a way because it's in such a restrained format and the only place that the only part that changed of that ceremony was the sermon from the priest with which i didn't resonate at all that was the only thing that changed and he was just condemning and blaming and from like a very accusative point of view, which made me like completely lose any connection with it. So it got to a point where just going to church was like so painful. It was just like I, I had to be obligated and it wasn't until like I told my mom, mom, I'm like really involved with my studies. I really need to spend this time studying because if not, and I was already 18 years old. So I had the possibility to like leave and coming back to this year and understanding how people live their religion, just like the concept of having a female priest, not to say a gay priest, like we've met people through this journey. It was so far away from, from what I thought of religion growing up and what I thought of like, um, religious institutions. I, I didn't know that existed. And it's just like, and I, I bet if like, I, sometimes I talk with my man, I'm with my mom about these things and I try to have like an open conversation with her. It's so difficult for her to understand why I'm interested in learning about other stories and other points of view. But it has been, like I said, very life-changing to see what uh, a miracle is or even like some of the scriptures, uh, finding like a meaning that resonates with me. We thought becoming a religious thing it has been so such a grown thing because i am able to see like what can i take from this you know and how can i make it so i can grow and become a better person and learn something more than oh if this is a god that's in the sky and that's um omnipotent he's everywhere and i don't know i've, I've learned a lot uh, this year about all that that makes sense that's wonderful we are right at about time. It flew by. It did. It really did. 
I want to make sure you all can plug all the wonderful things that you do. I know the podcast is amazing. Um, so shameless plugs, anything you want people to follow, to know about, anything you all are involved in, please let us know all of it. So definitely follow our podcast at the, Forbi uh, the Forbidden Apple Podcast on Instagram and on email. Yeah, we are. If you haven't, if anybody listening resonates with our stories and wants to share theirs or wants to tell us a little bit more, we're always open to it. Our email is info at the Forbidden Apple Podcast.com. Uh, we're available in Apple Podcasts, we're available in Spotify, all streaming platforms, mm -hmm. and uh, subscribe and share with friends if you like it. And if you uh, also like it, please give it a, a review in five in stars. Yeah, five stars. Um, yeah. And also, I am currently working on a play, and it'll be out in uh, uh, February, and it's about, uh, it takes place in, in the community I've come from. So it's about this Orthodox woman. Um, fighting for custody over kids and it's an all female cast and it's, wow. I'm very excited about it. So you can also follow me at, um, my website is melissaweiss.com and it's M E L I S S A. I think you have the spelling, right? You're going to put my yeah, name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we can so put a yeah. link in there. The link. Yeah. So it's my website and I'll, I'll, you, I can connect through that as well as my Instagram, which is also my name and you can find updates on that as it comes closer to that. So yeah, we will be following. Thank you all so much for joining Thank us. Thank you for having us. It was wonderful. Have a great day. Thank Have you. a great day. You too. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Queer Stories and Twitter at Beyond Queer Pod. Also, check out the creator of our podcast music, Be Steadwell. She's an incredible queer artist who creates queer music and queer content. You can check her out at BeSteadwell.com. That's B-E-S-T-E-A-D-W-E-L-L.com. Also, if you want to be a guest on the podcast, you can look for our link to submit on both Facebook and Instagram or reach out to us at beyondqueerstories at gmail.com. And if you're an iTunes listener, please rate us and leave us a comment. We'd love to get your feedback. This also helps others find our podcast. Talk to you all next week. Next time on Beyond Queer Stories. I'm not mm -hmm. able to stand up to my mom. Mm -hmm. Being single helps. I'm not able to stand up to my mother and say, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. So it's also a process. I'm done. I'm comfortable, but I don't think I am where I want to be. Bye.